This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we are getting an inside scoop of tragic failures of Canada's long-term care system. David Herford, director of the documentary Crisis in Care, highlights the systemic issues with the system, plus long-term care worker Vi Weems shares her experiences working in the industry and how the pandemic impacts residents and staff. It's a very, very sad story, and it's a very, very grounded look of what this industry and experience looks like in Canada. On in case you missed it with Ryan O'Donnell, he tells us of the upcoming Harry Potter reunion special, and he loves Adele's new album. Plus, are you okay with Netflix, Angry Kids, and are you okay with cilantro? All of this coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for Are You Okay? Are you okay? It's where we sort of ask a question, and it's a really dumb story, and we have fun with it, and you can let us know, 877-399-9898, if you are okay with Netflix. Brennan Kelly, Ryan O'Donnell? Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's like an essential service these days, for me at least. Uh, I like how instantaneous it is to just watch a show when you finally decide on what you want to watch. And I will say that Netflix has become a very important Christmas tradition in my household because on Christmas Eve, while we make dinner, we watch all of the Christmas specials from the office and that's all still on Netflix. So an important part of the holidays in the O'Donnell household. Mm. Christmas vacation on Christmas Eve in our house. Are we just saying mm-hmm. Netflix or are we talking about streaming services in general? Because like Netflix, Netflix as an organization, they're kind of, they're, they're a little bit, they, they got oh, some... They- yeah. Yeah. There's some there's some sneaky piggybacking on the internet provider things happening in that business. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you know, and politically I too, have... they've been sort of all over the map with like what they've allowed and not allowed and come out against, yeah. but then allowed and I don't know, they're like, they like quite figured it out. Yeah, no. Uh, that being said, I uh, have to say I did appreciate watching the way that Netflix is making some movies to get series of movies out of it. I watched a couple of Ryan Reynolds movies. I watched that um, Red Status. What was that one called? Uh, Red Burn Burn No Red Notice. I think Something Red like Notice. That. And then the other one, which is the uh, the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Yeah. Both both actually that one makes a reference to Red Notice actually inside it, uh, which is funny, <laughs> but the um. Those ones are all, they're looking like they're going to be series, right? The Red Notice one in particular. Uh, that they're building movies and they're building movies on movies on movies, which is probably good for the actors to be able to build series and make money that way. So that part's kind of cool. I like what they're up to. Mm-hmm. The online movie streaming service has changed a lot from when it was a mail-in movie service. It's one of those biggest media platforms in the world. Remember when you see those DVD machines in the in the stores and you'd be like this is the best idea ever yeah and then all of a sudden they're gone (laughs) now i think they have a claw and you get stuffies out of them but for netflix to grow some businesses had to get out of the way rogers video in canada of course blockbuster too imagine the perfect video store it would have a great selection right right over ten thousand videos three evening rentals so no rush no hassle fast checkout 24-hour quick drop return, open late every night. Well, the perfect video store... Welcome to Blockbuster Video. ...is popping up all over the country. There's one near you. Oh, I remember that jingle. I haven't heard that in a long That's time. That's a good jingle. Yeah, That's a great jingle. What a difference. Wow. Um, after the rise of Netflix, Blockbuster went bankrupt in 2010 irony because blockbuster had a chance to buy them and didn't Mm -hmm. several months ago we sat down with sandy harding who manages the very last blockbuster in the world right here on the shift she joined us it's in bend oregon and it's a pretty special place i think the biggest part is right in the middle of the store now we have etched out a section of our back wall that is kind of like a memory wall and so we have you know the john oliver stuff is back there and we have letters that people have sent us and pictures with celebrities when they've come into the store and, and just different things. You know, we have a display case of things people will send us. And I mean, people send us, you know, their old gift cards or, you know, old, you know, trinkets that they bought at a blockbuster store somewhere and just things like that, that we can display as part of our, 
you know, memories kind of a thing. And I think that's the biggest change. And then the t-shirts, of course, you know, now we, now we have t-shirts and keychains and all kinds of fun things that if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, you're crazy. I would never be selling t-shirts out of a video store. Um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest part is just all the, you know, the merch, the stuff that we sell now. Um, mm. But the rest of it's the same. Sandy Harding in Bend, Oregon at the very last Blockbuster. You can check out that whole interview on the Shift Daily Podcast. Just go to CuriousCast.ca, give it a search. Netflix made a documentary about her story, irony, and that the very last Blockbuster was alive and well, but they are getting ready to milk this a little bit more. Maybe it's salt in the wound of the fact that Blockbuster didn't buy Netflix. Netflix is creating a new workplace comedy Deadline reports Netflix has ordered 10 episodes of Blockbuster from Universal, a comedy starring Randall Park set in the last remaining Blockbuster video store. Oh, that's a good idea. So the, the people who hung on last are probably making more money than any of them. Um, <laughs> the series is coming from Vanessa Ramos, who previously worked on Superstore, which is a great show. This is kind of a... a, a carbon copy of that in its own way and brooklyn 99 universal tv's head of comedy jim donnelly noted the irony of netflix creating a show about blockbuster saying he's thrilled to be continuing our partnership with netflix where we never have to worry about late fees oh that's a fun little Ooh. spin back in time Ooh. i mean people well love their workplace comedies like that's a huge market now i think blockbuster set now as a show with randall park he's hilarious i think this could mm. be an easy win for Netflix. Well, it'd be like a current version of a little bit of that 70s show style throwback, right? There's going to be some yep. real retro angles to it, but in today's world. So that's kind of cool. I like it. Are you okay? Are you okay with kids who get angry? I would say, Scary. yes, I have two of them. <laughs> you do. I, I just sometimes encounter angry children in the wild and it's, uh, I think, was I like that? And the answer was yes, but um, it can be terrifying sometimes. Hmm. No, I never got angry. I was pretty much the same my whole life. <laughs> that surprised me. To be honest, yeah, I remember a story of uh, at the old grape and wine parade in St. Catharines. Uh, I was in that once. Yeah, my uh, parents told me a story of uh, um, like the, the the musketeers stopped in front of us and shot their guns off, and I was asleep as an infant like less than one year old and i didn't even wake up I, apparently That's i rarely yeah. people yeah <laughs> apparently i rarely like cried and parents had to like check on me to make sure i was okay because i was just that agreeable hmm. <laughs> damn <laughs> i don't change jeez you don't change all right okay um despite their size and stature kids can pack a serious punch <laughs> ryan's really worried about this <laughs> especially if they're from florida like this kid what does it mean to be from florida florida straight drill uh, this nine-year-old from florida who is about 74 years younger than the average age was given an award by police after they say she fought off a robber to protect her mother. And by fought off, we mean kick the crap out of them. And it's all on tape. West Palm Beach police say Journey Nelson and her mother were shopping for groceries at Sabre Tropical Supermarket on November 2nd when the suspect tried to steal her mom's purse. And then the super kid leaped into action. Fox News actually sat down with her to learn more about her amazing actions. Tell me what happened. So we walked out the store and then I took a little glance at him and then I looked back at the car and then I opened my door and then next thing I know I saw him running towards my mom and And then, then you went around the other side, her. right? Yeah. And and you punched him? Yep. Yeah. Where did you punch him? On his head. Did you kick him too? No. You just punched him. And then, yes. were you afraid at that time, Journey? Yes. You were. I bet you were afraid too, Danielle. What were you thinking? Um, 
Well, at first I was, it was, you know, I can't let him get this purse. Um, but once, you know, Journey got involved and he pushed her down, you know, I just let the purse go. Right. And he took it. But then Journey wasn't over. Journey wasn't done. She chased after him. How far did you chase him, Journey? Four blocks down. Wait, four blocks. Four houses. Down. Yeah, four houses down. Wow. <laughs> she chased him. She punched. I like how she said, yep, after asking <laughs> he punched him. This is a badass kid. I like it. I know. A little girl was honored by the police department with a medal and certificate for her quick actions and courage. Chief Adderley honored the nine-year-old child today for bravery, probably because he was scared of her. And she ran into her mother's defense to fend off the brazen robber. And hashtag arrest? Oh, oh it's a tweet. It's a tweet. Oh. Oh, yeah, I see what you did. Well, for me, yeah, I see. Yeah. yeah, an arrest was swiftly made in this case. The West Palm Beach uh, Police Foundation presented the child with a token of appreciation, partly because they were all scared of her. West Palm Beach Police uh, PD said in a Twitter post, oh, there it is. Uh, Chief told WSVN that while the girl was brave, he does not recommend anyone confront a suspected criminal. She's cool. <laughs> I yeah. want her living on my I, block. Got to tell you. The, the video is outstanding. She like it is not a punch it's punch 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 it is really yeah it's impressive are you okay are you okay with cilantro yes i'm a fan i think it's like impossible to have mexican or any south american food without cilantro yes salsa yeah yeah exactly without yeah it just adds so much pretty easy going I'll take it or leave it you know I don't I don't necessarily spice my food up when I'm making it myself because I'm pretty lazy cook but if it's in there let's be honest I'll take it. I don't believe you spice your food at all <laughs> yeah you're a salt and pepper kind of guy aren't you yeah I don't or maybe just salt just yeah. just not both at the same time Ooh, oh you're doing. yeah too much no let's not get wild yeah <laughs> Baked veggies, man. Uh, the cilantro is probably the most divisive uh, plant on the planet. You either love it or you think it tastes like soap and should burn in the depths of hell. Um, do you know why it tastes like soap? Is there a reason? There's a reason why. I'll tell you once we're why? done the story. Uh, I'm going to make you wait. But would you ever mistake the herb for some kush? The devil's lettuce. Mary Hane. <laughs> Mary Hane. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> That's a new one I for thought me. I'd spice it up and put a new one. All right. Maybe it's Mary Hane. The ganja, the marijuana. This unfortunately happened for a woman who was just trying to bring in some soup to church, and she got kicked out for it. Members of the famous church, uh, of the famous church in the U.S., got kicked out, kicked out a woman after they mistook cilantro for marijuana. They confronted her for allegedly bringing drugs to the congregation. However, the woman repeatedly told them it was cilantro for her Mexican soup. Menudo. Yeah, it was a soup. In the viral TikTok video, the members can be seen confronting Ashley for bringing weed to the congregation, although she repeatedly says it's cilantro. Here's more from Coco 5 News. This is the moment Ashley Ontiveros was kicked out of the United Methodist Church. Ashley at the church to visit her sister, who is currently incarcerated. We talked to her tonight, but she didn't want to be on camera. She tells us she brought menudo with all the fixings, onion, lime, cilantro, and oregano in a plastic baggie. That's that weed? That's for the menudo? Ashley says they refused to open the bag to smell the contents. Just so you could confirm it, it's for the food. Smell it. A second video shows her asking for the food back and was told have it the church issuing a statement about the video saying in part, quote, the video clip that is being circulated around social media of an incident that occurred at Redemption Mission Penn Avenue in Oklahoma City on November 14th is of a person who was upset because the staff did not allow her to give a bag of food to a family member who is an inmate attending church services. Ashley tells me she plans to eat the menudo with her sister there like she's done before. Well, after the investigation, it turns out she was innocent. It was cilantro and church authorities uh, allowed her to pray. <laughs> Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. 
We are slowly tiptoeing away to almost two years, two years of a pandemic. And this conversation is about a pandemic, but it's absolutely not about a pandemic. It creates a distinction between our blind spots of before the pandemic and then our observations and heartbreak through a pandemic. Now, I would like to say in Canada, we took care of our old people before the pandemic, but we didn't. We don't. The pandemic simply exposed a fracture that was already there. And boy, oh boy, it turned it into this chasm of heartbreak. We don't protect our old folks. Nothing. And the stupidest thing about all of it is that's my future. That's David's future. That's Vi's future. And that's who joins us here. David Herford is a documentary producer. Uh, Vi is, uh, is, uh, is a healthcare uh, practitioner, worker, I guess I could say, Vi. Um, and, um, and your experience through the last two years, you're taking a stand on all of the years that we've done a really terrible job caring for old people. Thanks for being here, um, David. Uh, let's start with, I guess, the premise of your documentary so we can set that baseline for everybody. Yeah, really. Uh, thank you, uh, Shane. And uh, yeah, I was trained as a, a, a journalist and broadcaster, but I'm also a care provider as well and uh, work in the sector and went through an outbreak in my own care home as well. And I just felt that, you know, telling the story of, of these heroes on the front line, you know, it's one thing to hear about it, you know, hear people being called heroes, but I think to actually hear their stories, it's really important for people to understand uh, the courage uh, that these people demonstrated. It, it shows the best of us to some degree, but also as a paradox, it shows the worst of us as well. And, you know, I was inspired to get into seniors care by my grandmother. I had a great relationship with her. She never wanted to go into a care home. You know, people would rather die than go into a care home. That's how bad it is. That's the options that we give our, our people. But But ultimately my grandma had to go into a care home. And you know what? She spent 10 years there and she loved it because it was social. She had people like Vi who loved her and looked after her. And I saw the difference that those people made. And I saw this uh, during the pandemic. And I just felt that it's a story that people need to hear about. I think it's also important for people to know it didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen by accident, long-term care. This is where public health wanted this disaster to be the the pandemic was all about protecting hospitals at all costs. And in those first two waves, we had really non-events happening in hospitals while people like Vi were working 18-hour days. And there's an ageism, I think, that exists in our society. I think we saw it during this pandemic that it seemed to be um, not okay, but it, it seemed to be not an accident that this was happening in long-term care. When you look at all the things that were conspiring against us, PPE being directed to hospitals instead of long-term care homes, just all, you know, just refusal to consider moving residents to, to other areas that had COVID to protect people that were in the community. It raised a lot of ethical challenges when we uh, prevent old people, older people in long-term care from accessing hospitals, rights were being violated. So I think it's important that that story uh, be told so that we make sure it never happens again. Now, Vi, you care for uh, the old folks. And uh, for you and the hard work that David talks about, I mean, you retired from, you know, a few years ago. So I'm I'm not going to be an ageist, but I will say that you are a veteran um, and in this. So your health, too, was also not one of those things that um, you could take for granted either when you're going into some care homes. So without asking a specific question, I'm just going to invite you to tell me where this really starts for you, because I don't want to lead you down any path. I do want you just to share what, where you go in this conversation as a person who cares for the family uh, and that, that person who's in the home, not necessarily working for the home. So where do we start from your perspective? 
Well, I appreciate that that introduction that way. Um, for me, listening to David as well, um, and my bio actually says, uh, introduces me as uh, being a healthcare worker all her life. And I chuckled a bit at that, but as I'm thinking about that, there was more truth to it than, than I had to admit that there was truth to that because it sounds like I, I feel like I was born into it. Some ways I was. My mom had um, many health issues and other issues. I was the oldest. And so that tendency of caregiving and responsibility, I think, began right right from little. And again, too, I lived next door to my grandparents. I had one set of grandparents next to me and then my other grandma, also close. And I became very close to them. Uh, they, they were... Well, they were a place of love for me, um, instilling instinctive and familiarity and comfort with elderly. So I just feel that they had a very profound influence in my life, which kept leading me towards the career that I'm in now. This this place, these long-term care homes today, we really could have had this conversation you know, two, three years ago. I mean, it really hasn't changed much. I mean, exaggerated by everything covid for sure. Where do we get this wrong vibe? Where, where, how, if you could pick off three points even, you know, about how we get this wrong, about how we care for these old folks. I mean, you've been in it, you've seen it. Now, for your answer, that could be COVID-related or not COVID-related. But if you could pick off one or two, maybe three specific examples about immediate results if we change these things, what would those be? Oh, my goodness. I would like to immediately see more staff. I would immediately want to eliminate the isolation. For me, what I see even today is the effect of the isolation when if there's another pandemic. And uh, so for sure, those two things, um, I'd like to honestly, in my own way, I'd like to see it become much less institutionalized. I'd like to have a whole new model of, say, little homes under one group, under roof, so that there's more of a family connection feel so I think those are my three. Oh, that's three. interesting. Little homes inside. That's a cool idea. I've never thought of that before. David, um, because you've been in and around this too, not only in the production side of, of this particular uh, piece, uh, how, do we, how do we take that? I mean, we've got, and we've got a for-profit system in a lot of places. Um, that's problematic. But at the same time, when you talk about provincial healthcare systems, and you know, there was that political steering of resources. So is it even possible that not one's never going to be better than the other? No, I think there's consensus on a lot of issues in terms of improving the system. Like you said, we could have had this discussion two, three years ago. I don't think we would be having a lot. There's already been a number of changes. A lot of money is flowing into the system. That would not have been happening had it not been for COVID-19. There's no doubt that we were sleepwalking into a, a crisis regardless. Uh, COVID has accelerated some of the discussions around solutions, paying these uh, heroes uh, what they're worth. My goodness, uh, the previous policies were designed to drive down wages in the sector. Uh, people making $21, uh, uh, private uh, firms, you know, kind of short shifting them so they weren't eligible for benefits, all kinds of things to drive down the system. And that's uh, the opposite of where we need to be. Uh, you know, we paid people time and a half wages during the outbreak, uh, worked out to about 30 some dollars an hour. That felt about right um, to start off with. So I think we need to value the people that are going to work every day. And I think that will help us get more uh, staff. I think the design of the buildings as we talk about in the film, but I think we also have to trust the care providers that are on the front line, that they they are the experts. And I fear that a lot of decisions were being made during the pandemic by people that had never set foot into a care home uh, in the past. And I do believe that the frontline care providers, you know, whether they're run by a private company or a nonprofit, my experience is those people that are in those buildings, they don't care. They, they are there to look after the senior, whether they, regardless of the ownership structure, um, but, I, but I think that there are, there's a lot of consensus. What we need really is the political will uh, to do it. And I think that we've seen during uh, COVID where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, you know, I think of the, the story of Barlito Valdez in the movie, where Lito is the first care uh, professional, frontline care provider, uh, to my knowledge anyway, who passed away from COVID. And what a Canadian story. He was an immigrant, um, could not get his foreign credentials recognized in Canada as a nurse, or a healthcare professional, which is the story of so many people, but they persevere. And, and Marlito found his way 
to caring for people, which is what his calling was. And he died doing that job. He died saving the life of somebody who would have died. You know, it was choking. And he jumped in and saved them, no questions asked. Uh, So I think that really, you know, recognizing that heroism, understanding that the people on the front line are are the, the experts, they know what to do, listening to them, trusting them. And then, uh, you know, starting with really lifting the wage levels and recognizing the professionalism of these people. And I think, frankly, giving them a medal. You know, a lot of uh, uh, people have described this as a war. You know, the prime minister talked about people putting their PPE on like soldiers going into battle. When this is over, we should give these care workers a medal because what they have done, they saved us. This, This disaster would have been much worse. You know, Vi had COVID and that would have taken us a lot down, but you can see in the movie, Vi couldn't wait to get back in there to help those people. We need to pay tribute to that. You, um, you both get emotional when you talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about that low, because I bet that PTSD, uh, I'm not saying you have PTSD or diagnosing anything, but at the same time, that outcome that is similar to that I mean, this hits you spontaneously still today, David. Mm-hmm. I can see it in your face. Um, Vi, I can see it in yours. Um, like, it still scares you today, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yes, I'm I'm still, I'm v- thinking about it in preparation for this. I, I was, again, um, amazed, well, amazed. I was surprised at the emotion that was rising up in me and the memories that I had and the things that were um, just re looking at memories that had resurfaced again and and actually we're we're in an outbreak at Tabor right now actually but it's again the comparison of how we're managing it now to how it was previous it's completely different um so we've we've learned a lot and come a long ways in that but yes you're right it stirs a lot of feelings and emotions memories different for everybody david um, well, I think, yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. I, um, it is different for everybody and, you know, this has become, you know, I'm going to be pragmatic for a second. All these people work hard in these homes, the home care workers, the ones that are employees of the homes and they work at multiple homes in a lot of cases moving around, uh, for not a ton of money, you know, frankly, uh, and I'm going to not do it with any blame, but they enable this because they care. They enable the system because they care and they're not going to walk away from it. So how is it, David, when you're sitting there with all this, you know, the memories of this, the impact on your art, knowing that these people, you know, are going into this continually and they're still going to do it regardless if they get punched in the face again. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It just makes me, um, it gives me a faith in our humanity that these people are there because we see you know, so much of the bad pieces, the the anti-vaxxers and the, the protests mm-hmm. against public health orders. And here are these people just showing up. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I feel better that they're getting paid more now. I want to, we need to keep on fighting, fighting for that. Uh, you know, so, so I think that, and the amazing resilience of, of the staff, like I said, I just went straight back into work. Uh, I see it every day with, you know, in my care center, we had 41 staff come down with COVID and they're all still there. They're all still coming and they are more resilient now uh, than they ever have been. We're a much tighter team. So it really is something to behold. It makes me proud. Um, but they, they, they clearly, as you, you're bang on and the system's taken advantage of them. And I think it's time to change that. Uh, it's time to put them in the driver's seat. It's time to make sure that, you know, they have the time to do what they love to do, which is be close to the seniors and to do it in a certain way that is not like working in a in a hospital. I think that that's the danger here is that the outcome of this is that the long-term care home starts to resemble more of an acute care hospital setting and it needs to go uh, completely in the, uh, in the in the opposite direction. I think that the... the, the the moral distress, and you hear a lot of, you know, this term of moral injury and so on. And I think the thing that is is troubling as much as it was all so difficult was to see the system let you down. And I think we saw a lot of times where the, the public system, um, you know, we, we're Canadians. We think the system is going to be there for us when we need it. Uh, and when that social safety net's not there, it just kind of floors you and it makes you wonder 
that we were in it. We, we, you know, the moral of the story is life's not fair. Uh, that's kind of unfortunately the, the result and that everyone's in it, that everyone has to look after themselves. And I think that that was really discouraging that people felt so desperate that the system wasn't there to protect them and that they really, and especially the public health care system that we have in Canada. And that really, that kind of hurts, um, you know, that, that that was the case, that the the virus is the virus. The virus is going to do what the virus is going to do. Mm-hmm. But when you get a sense that the system isn't there to back you up, you really do feel alone. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm going to call it for what it is because I, I don't, I just firmly believe that we can't get grounded in a topic until we call it for what it is, acknowledge it, right? The demon, the, the demon in the room, if you will. Now, with the exception of these hard workers, right, I'm going to say it. Canadians have treated the old folks like they're expendable. You're done. You did your part. You're now expendable. And if that's my future, I'm not okay with that future. And I say that very pragmatically on purpose. I say it because of the fact that people who have turned a blind eye to it, people who have ignored this story through the course of COVID and thought, well, I don't know anybody who's old. Right. And then then there's obviously the political conversation, too, which is very clear. We our old folks in Canada have been treated like they're expendable for a long time. And now it's in the news. And um, that I also hold myself accountable to that. I didn't know. My parents tell me now there's no way I am dying in this house. There is no way I'm going in. That to me is the ground grounding rod of the baseline in that. Am I offside with any of those statements? I I agree with you. I fully fully agree with you. I've heard reports of like a, a polls that have been taken is that more and more people uh, are choosing to want to rather stay home and avoid the nursing home completely. Now. V- Vi, you talk about those houses. You talk about creating little communities inside the communities. Uh, Here on the shift, we should get that. We have the shift head community at nighttime. We call it our community. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you still believe in long-term care homes, uh, Vi, even after all of this and what becomes possible here if we did it properly? That's a really good question. I've given that a lot of thought myself. And I think I would, first of all, just say, if, if at all possible, stay home and get help coming in like myself, get help coming in. But in all fairness, there are definitely people who cannot care for their loved one at home. Like if it, they just can't, if they're already elderly and their, their condition is so severe that they simply can't even with help coming in, then uh, absolutely the nursing home is still, you know, it, it's still uh, an anchor. It's still a place to come and it's, yeah, definitely there are care aides that uh, they are, they're passionate. They love their job. And there's many that would, that care, care one with all their heart. It's their passion. So I, I still believe in nursing homes. Yeah. Long-term care. I do. David. Yeah, I, I do because of the people who work in the building, the, the mm-hmm. structure itself may be flawed. Uh, the hallways may be too narrow. The ventilation system may be outdated, mm-hmm. but the people inside those homes, I would trust my grandmother if she were alive today with them in a, in a heartbeat. Um, but you know, it, we had a heat wave this summer that killed 550 people. A lot of them were seniors living at home alone uh, as well. Um, and they weren't looked after either. I think there's this broader piece about just how we look at seniors, as you were saying, Shane. I'll take one example. Uh, there are still care homes that have four people in a room. Um, the, the dignity, the loss of dignity uh, you know, our care center has everyone in a private room. Most of the newer ones do. but And that fueled a lot of the outbreaks was imagine a curtain was all you had for your privacy. In, and these are four people maybe with dementia. One gets COVID. They all get COVID. And we kept them there. We kept them there. We did not decommission these. We shouldn't have any more of these four bedrooms anywhere in Canada. It's inhumane. We should just decommission them. But you know what? We're still sending people into them. That's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I think that, 
those things to me are just not dignified and and they're so fixable uh, there are empty private rooms that could easily take people in but we still are sending people into the, you know we, let's just start with that let's start with not putting four people into one room uh, maybe we can just start there so we've learned a lot of lessons give me hope give me hope that this is going to be okay i mean there's been a lot of bright spots but give me hope that when i am in this place in hopefully 40 or more years that um that it's going to be a safe place for me i wish i could give you some hope shane but i gotta if i was going to be honest with you right now i would say this is not a good situation that we're in right now hmm. the system is teetering on the edge mm-hmm. it was in crisis before covid the crisis is more acute and you know what long-term care providers are not getting their calls returned by the government anymore we're not the we're not the flavor of the block anymore uh, I get a sense people have moved on. I could sit here and try and give you a whole bunch of false hope, but I don't have any hope to give you. The hope, the hope is that we, you know, is with by the other care providers, but they can only do it for so long, and and that's an aging workforce too. Um, and a lot of them have had COVID. What are the long haul effects? I really wish, as a Canadian. Uh, uh, that I could give you some hope that our long-term care system is going to get better. But two years after this, seeing what I see now, I have a fear that people are not going to build this system back better than it was beforehand. I think we're going to see mandate solutions and it's, Mm -hmm. I I don't know if I have a different view, but I just feel like it here with a straight face and give you hope you get to be there Vi, as well and and make sure that some of these old folks um uh you know once they get into the palliative stage and all those things that they get respectable send off and the family all those pieces i mean i can only imagine that work for you as as people do get there um mm-hmm. you know it, what can is there any little nugget that that you can bring that 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 make sure that we're not going through this again, like you said about the heat in the summertime or the pandemic or the whatever's next. Truly, truly. I, I, I agree uh, in terms of the, all the elders that passed away at home. I mean, that, what a travesty, what a tragedy, but I think my feeling again, I don't have that much hope in, in the change either, which is why I'm, I basically said, try and stay at home and set your place up at home, get the help in at home and if I don't see it changing, then rather stay where you're, where you're comfortable in your own home. Yeah. Um, now, so your question about palliative, um, maybe just ask that again, if you could. Well, just that you've seen that. I mean, there's that handoff to palliative where some people just get to that point, right? Um, right. But that respect and dignity, I think to use David's word, would be is so critical to just get yeah. to that point where not only for the person, but the family around it, you know, you get yeah. to feel like you get to have at least a good send off, right? Kind of like a good old retirement party where you get respectable send off and people get to talk about you and to you. And, and cause people do get that. That's so, that to me seems critically important in all this. So how is it that we all know, we all know this outcome for us. Like we're not breaking it news any, to anybody saying that we're all getting older every day. We're all going to get to a place like that. So why can't we create a place where it's safe to land? Um, is there any hope that we get to that place either that right now, or is it our own devices again? Well, Pat, you know what, you've got me there because palliative is my passion. That's uh, something that, um, has, yes, from, from early on, it was something about it. It's my passion. So that's something very close to my heart. Um, I've sat at a good many, many palliative beds. And um, again, you need, this, you need the staff and time for someone to just sit there and do that vigil and be there for them, particularly if the family can't come. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, more staff and funding so that they have the time to do that vigil that's so needed. Alone, I often say on the shift that alone and lonely are two very distinct situations. Mm-hmm. This is challenging that because um, through COVID, I'm sure as both of you seen, both alone and lonely aren't so distinct in this, is it? 
No, and no. I think he, he, there's a couple segments in the movie, I think, that, you know, Vi describes and her colleague uh, Kate uh, describe as well in terms of, you know, how people were alone at the end of their life. Uh, they had a tablet to see their loved ones on covered in saran wrap. And a lot of that burden fell on the staff uh, mm -hmm. who had to be there and to take that palliative burden on to these care workers. They're the ones walking around with that on their shoulders. They were there mm -hmm. in those mm -hmm. final moments and, um, you know, the mm -hmm. courage and, and then Vi, Vi does that as well. I think it's in, it's it's just amazing to me um, what, what they do, what they do. You know, one thing that we have done in Canada is we have brought in legislation to help people in their life in a compassionate way with the medical assisted in dying. Uh, it's probably one of the hallmark um, pieces of legislation that this current federal government will be remembered for. Um, you know, that's a very compassionate option for people that they didn't have before, but it can't be the only option. Um, you know, we, we, the more that we, we have made available, made being the medical assisted in dying, I believe every time we talk about that, we have to talk about other positive things in terms of offering people um, positive experiences at the end of their life. A maid can't be the only option, but it is a very compassionate option. And I, I will say that I've seen many experiences where the, the legislation around medical insistent and dying has given people very peaceful exits that are um, wonderful experiences. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that, but you know, you don't want that to be the only option. That's not the hope. Yeah. The parachute, right? No, sometimes you don't want to pull the parachute. Vi? Mm. Yes, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. I've thought about, read up on MAID as well. And, but no, that's, um, there, there's, a, there have to be other options. I, I think I'd like to quickly, you know, as I'm listening to all this, I talk about just very quickly, um, just an example of, of um, like, so all these residents now were, were um, in isolation now for weeks and weeks. And if I can be this honest, when I came back from my own COVID and came back in, I, I have to say they, some of them look like Holocaust survivors. They were so drawn and lonely and isolated and alone and um, quietly just sitting there, no smiles. And so one of like, one of my, um, priorities then was to come in and start alleviating this loneliness and isolation. And so I'd go in quietly and just start touching them and holding them and hugging them and began to get responses. And there was this one man in particular, I, I, he was such a lovely, lovely man, and I wasn't getting release responses from him. And so I continued just stroking his hand, holding him. And all of a sudden, then I got his family album and we started looking at the pictures of his children, grandchildren. And all of a sudden, the tears just started running down his face and it broke. And he had been so brave and wanting to be brave and courageous to get through all this. And all of a sudden, those tears just rolled and the smile started coming. And uh, you know what? It, for, yeah. I, so, in Yeah. I mean, these people were dying, but some of them were dying of isolation and loneliness, and their families couldn't be there for them. And for me, I think I'm, I'm that's so heartbreaking for me. It's heartbreaking. I mean, puncture. I mean, what dreadful way to punctuate all of this, all the work that everyone has done to get there. So I have an invitation for you. Uh, you can decline if you if you don't find it's appropriate. I'm asking for first names only. And you're going to forget people. I'm going to declare that on everyone's behalf because there are so many people. But if you can just first names of a few people, I don't care who they are. I don't care if they're the taxi driver. I don't care if they were the home care worker. I don't care if they were the patient or the family member. Who comes to mind for you, Vi, right now? Just first names only because we want to protect privacy. But is there anybody that you want to thank or acknowledge that, that you can share? Of staff? Anybody. Or Anything anybody. that comes to mind, wide open, patients, anybody. Right. Well, I'm going to say Kate to our director of care and all the all the sacrifice that she put in. Yeah. David? Well, I think of I, obviously, but I think of Warlito. I think of, uh, you know, Maria in the film, Kate, uh, the people that are in the film. I think of my own team at, uh, at the care center, Faria, Marie, to Tinder, all of these amazing people. Um, they're just absolutely fantastic. I, I'm thinking of them all the time. And I'm thinking of all those carriers across Canada, those nurses that 
just go to work every day and they're carrying this burden with them. I just, uh, it's, it's all inspiring. You okay, Vi? Yes, I am. Okay. Thank you. Um, you've taught me something here, Vi, both of you have, um, where you said that, that community within community and the magic that is found inside that in what if living accommodations. So I'm going to create a bit of a possibility around all of this. What if we could have our old folks feel like they belonged? I mean, belonging is the number one driving factor of everything in our lives. It is the fear of not belonging that makes us dress appropriately for an event and basically put on a costume. Call it for what it is. Belonging is the key to all the things. And when everyone can feel like they belong, we start to create something. So what if, what if we could take all this hard work from all of these people in these homes, reevaluate and convince and take a stand and have the argument, whether it's community inside a community, just belonging and to take from you. And this is what you both have inspired in me is that what if we could treat the old folks in a way or have a place for them to go where life is found, not a place that where life is lost. And I hope that that can at least be enough um, to get us to the next step. Well, you've given me some hope with that, Shane. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I think that's possible. Mm -hmm. It's hard to talk about, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's not a pretty, pretty discussion. Oh, the emotions and the feelings are hard. Uh, the, it's called crisis and care. It's uh Google and Apple Play. Uh, in my date here, David, uh, was it last weekend or this coming weekend that it's out there? It's out there now. It was released about a, a couple of weeks ago and uh, hope as many people can watch it as possible. Uh, it's already been awarded the new Canadian documentary by the Toronto Independent Film Festival of CFIT and, uh, and many other accolades as everyone talks about it. Um, Vi, thank you for your hard work. Um, there's hope in, in you and you smile through um, some of the hard conversations. And I don't know if that's a coping thing or a vi thing or uh, just trusting and believing in how you surrender into your work. I just wanted to acknowledge that. And that makes this conversation easier. Uh, and David, your expression of your emotion is also very comforting and makes this conversation easier. Uh, thank you both for being here. Thank you. <laughs> This is the Shift Podcast. Ryan O'Donnell, it's time for In Case You Missed It. In case you missed it on the radio, here's... That's the ding I'm talking about. Very nice. <laughs> O'Donnell. Oh, man. Very nice. Very nice. Excellent. That's the kind of ding we like to hear here on the Shift. Uh, I am not going to be easy. talking about... Uh, I know it's too easy to uh, about vaccines and politics. I'll be talking about some more fun stuff, but first I would like to answer this question from Lyle and Kamloops. Ryan, how was the new Ghostbusters movie and your Batman game? Thanks Lyle. Uh, Batman game. It has Batman in it. So by default, it's excellent. Now Ghostbusters. I didn't just go see the new Ghostbusters movie. I went to the brand new Cineplex VIP theater that opened up in Calgary. I'm Batman. Those are the, fancy schmancy ones where you can get the nice recliners that have heating or cooling if you'd like uh no kids excuse me, sir could i have a whiskey in the middle of my movie excuse me yep. i want a whiskey Pretty much. it's the middle of the movie i would like a whiskey uh you can't get it during the middle of the movie you can go to the bar but you can get in seat service up until the last trailer uh and, you know, I think uh, we have a pr the world's pretty screwed up right now. I'm pretty frustrated. There's not a lot of things that I'm super stoked about. But this weekend, I bought a fishbowl of alcohol and sat in a reclining chair with popcorn and watched a Ghostbusters movie. So I'd say that was probably pre that was pretty sweet. Not going to lie. I, I was pretty happy to be live in 2021 in that moment. Uh, the movie's great, by the way. A lot of fun. It's very similar to Star Wars A Force Awakens in the sense of how it tries to reboot the whole franchise. Uh, it's worth watching. It's also very funny, like way more funny than I would have expected. Worth a shot, my friends. Okay, speaking of classic films that are celebrating 
their anniversaries or their sequels. It's uh, it's Harry Potter. I mean, we all know it, even if you haven't watched it. I mean, it's probably up there with some of the biggest franchises in media ever. And uh, it's getting old. It's turning 20 years old. The first movie is turning 20 years old. Is that is it just me or is that bonkers? You're getting old. I'm getting old. We're yeah, that movie old. came out 2001. I was I was 6. I would have been 6. Wow. No, I would yeah, I would have been about <laughs> 6 years old when that came out. I'm sorry. I forget. You're so far so far beyond your years. I do. I, I'm guilty of it. You're so far behind your years and the way you speak and your maturity and the brain and how smart you are that sometimes when you say uh, you were born, uh, in, it, uh, oh my God, you yeah, were six in 2001 yeah. and I'm like, in 2001 I was engaged. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it's a little weird. But I grew up with this movie, right? So it's pretty interesting to think that it's I'm about as old as it is. Uh, and clearly... Warner Brothers recognizes the value in nostalgia because, yes, it is time to return to the wizarding world. When in doubt, I find retracing my steps to be a wise place to begin. We've all got both light and dark inside us. What matters? Is the part we choose to act on. That's who we really are. Bippity boppity boo. You're, you're, we can't, you're on here too, so I don't know. You what have to happened. turn your mic on. You've got to turn your yeah. mic on. Yeah. Nope, nope. Nope, you're still on oh. here. Yeah. So, what should we do here? Ryan's mic has somehow failed. Should we stare at him funny? Yeah. We can try to read his typos and continue to do. Oh, we can read his typos. That's just, always good. Now, when Ryan writes here, his, yeah. in case you missed it, segments, it gets really, really typoy because he's bilingual. Hello. I don't know if you know oh, this. No. Oh, Hello. there you are. Nuts, he's yeah. back. He's back. Okay. Ryan's no, 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 bilingual. No. He he can speak English and he can speak typo. And uh, yeah, um, it's quite. Are a you going to talk about uh, turn twenty years old, Aiden? Or how's that? How's I didn't that? Get Those are some good typos. Yeah, we didn't even get there. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, anyway, even, so yes. You even spelled JK wrong of JK Rowling. Yeah, oh. did I? Oh, yeah. No, I'm Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> essentially, yes, there is a whole special that Warner Brothers is putting together that I think is going to be pretty neat. Uh, here's some details on it from the Today Show. The film's famous trio will be reuniting for an upcoming anniversary special. Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grant coming together or Grant, I should say, coming together for a look back at the first film that inspired generations of magic-loving Muggle fans. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone director Chris Columbus, along with series stars Helena Bottom Carter, Robbie Coltrane, Gary Oldman, all set to join Harry Potter 20th anniversary return to Hogwarts hits HBO Max on New Year's Day. New Year's Day, I think, is, is the perfect day to release that. You're going to be hungover. You're going to wake up, you're going to, you know, you're going to try to get some Powerade in you, order some McDonald's, and then you're going to turn on a Harry Potter special. That, uh, for me, this is a lock. That sounds fantastic. So there's some interesting little details here. Yes, J.K. Rowling is not going to be there. She's the author, and she's also incredibly controversial now because she's said some pretty transphobic and anti-gay stuff over the years and is is overall a very weird person which i think you'd have to be weird to write uh harry potter uh, despite the fact the books are outstanding uh i don't i don't really know what happened there uh, so she's not going to be there which is not a surprise at all but you know daniel radcliffe who's you know he's he was 11 years old when that first movie came out and i think one of the best parts about harry potter the movie is that you get to watch the actors grow up and the characters grow up. I think that's one of the reasons why the franchise works so well. So it's going to be on HBO Max, which is not available in Canada. No clue if this will be able to be on Crave, which is kind of the counterpart to HBO Max in Canada. Probably, though, I would bet on it. Uh, and uh, yeah, by the way, 
fun fact, uh, those movies grossed $7.8 billion at the box office. All of them. All of them. All of them together, $7.8 billion. And I believe the last movie is in the top 10 highest grossing movies of all time. It's good to be a nerd. Huh? It's great to be a nerd. It's a movie, though, that, that has influenced. Uh, there's so many so many things I want to talk about. There, it's influenced mm-hmm. a whole generation, uh, case in point. Yep. And uh, not only that, I do like, I used to think that the Christmas movie release thing was so stupid. I'm like, why would you want to go to a movie on Christmas? And then I went to a movie on Christmas once. I was like, this is genius. It's I love amazing. it. It's so amazing. Yeah. The New Year's idea is pretty cool too. And um mm-hmm. and it is genius to see these people all growing up. They all look the same. They somehow don't way. really yeah. age, right? Yeah. They I mean they look like adults now, but they really haven't aged. And now's probably the time to do it as opposed to waiting until they're, you know, old and frumpy and saggy, you know, and the faces droop and they don't even look the same anymore. That kind of stuff. So, I think this is great. It's exciting. I don't even yeah. I've never even seen a whole movie of it, but you know, it's pretty well, good. It's pretty good. You should. Yeah. I, I love them. They hold up really well, and they're uh, very special movies in my heart. Uh, something else very special happened this weekend. It was probably, I would say, it's the most successful album drop I have ever seen in my entire life. And that was Adele's new album, 30. It released last week, and uh, holy crap, it's good. It's very good. And Adele has done some really cool things surrounding this album that I'm really excited to talk about. And uh, the whole theme of the album is her divorce with her husband. And I mean, divorce is a heavy subject. And she basically wrote this album to make it feel like you were going through the divorce with her. Uh, And we'll get back to that. But uh, in my initial thoughts on the album, it's incredibly mature. It's not just, I hate you, this is over. In fact, this is what she has to say about her ex, which this entire album is based on. I think Simon probably saved my life, to be honest with you. He came at such a moment, whereas the stability that him and Angelo have given me, no one else would ever have been able to give me. Like, especially at that time in my life, I was so young. And I just, I think I would have got a bit lost in all of it. Like, you know, and I think I probably, I could have easily gone down some dodgy paths, like, you know and sort of self-destructed from, from sort of like being so overwhelmed by all of it. And he he came in and was stable. The most stable person I've ever had in my life up until that point. Even, you know, even now I trust him with my life. Really? Oh my gosh, like beyond. Like, yeah, I feel like, yeah, him and Angelo, like they were angels sent to me, that's how I feel. Which is so relatable to many people who have been in relationships that have been in a place where they needed someone stable. They got the stability and then they're like, yeah, stability was great, but you're not my person. And I don't mean that as a slight. It's very real. Yeah, it's very real. And it, you can hear the maturity in the album. By the by the way, for me, the, the best song on the entire album that you absolutely have to hear is the closing track, which is Love is a Game. Um, now, the the thing that I love that Adele put on this album or rather asked for this album, you can notice if you go on Spotify, there's no shuffle button when you select this album on Spotify. Oh, no And way. that's because they removed it. Adele basically told Spotify saying, hey, this album is meant to be listened to in an order. And I don't love the idea that people can just put the album on and immediately shuffle it. You'll miss something. And so Spotify listened and took that away. I think that's such a great idea. I made, and bear with me, a Smith's Playlist where I organized their entire discography by theme. And I wrote in the description of it, has a couple hundred followers, by the way, uh, that you should listen to this in order. Don't shuffle it. And it absolutely is a different experience hitting the shuffle. So I think it's so cool that they did that. Now, Alan Cross, we've had on the show many, many times, and we love for the music knowledge, has has gathered some insane stats. A pre-order of over a million on iTunes and Apple Music, which is record-breaking. Sony ordered 500,000 vinyl copies of this six months ago to meet demand, and it's already kind of hitting that threshold of almost sold out. It's just breaking records left, left right, and, and center. And it's a fantastic album. And I think it's a, the way she dropped it with the whole special uh, and the reviews and the Oprah interview, like she has just hit the mark. 
And thankfully, the music lives up to the hype around Adele's album. And I, I find this this album very powerful. It's not there's a couple of songs that aren't great, but it is excellent. <laughs> and I think it's a true triumph story. It's really cool. And uh, it's absolutely worth listening to front to back. Hundred percent. Only in order. I I don't agree with the only in order part. I think you have a very good point. I think if I'm paying fifteen dollars a month, I get to listen whatever <laughs> darn well order I well, please. Now that being said, you can still shuffle the album if you want. It's just when you click on most albums on Spotify, the shuffle button is right beside the play button. That's not there on the album page. But if the album, if you pulled it up on your mini player, you can still shuffle it. You can. It's just that button is no longer front and center. You just mm. have to go for it, which okay, I think great. is cool. Uh, wow, that's cool. And I don't. Yeah, it's a great idea. And uh, the album lives up to the hype. It's long. It's very long. There's a lot of six-minute songs on here, but it, damn. Uh, you will cry, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> it's, not, it's very sad, but it's very good. There's a song called I Drink Wine which uh, I think a divorcee album has to have a song called I Drink Wine because no <laughs> divorce can happen without wine. No way. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.